This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey everybody, Carm Capriato, Aftermarket Weekly. It's actually week, let me see, I think it's 177. I can't believe it, Pete. We've been doing this for 177 weeks. We've been doing the Aftermarket Remarkable Results Radio for 800-some episodes. When I totaled all the different shows that we do in all the different genres, we're over 1,400. It's it's just totally amazing how long we've been doing this for eight years. I've known you for an awful lot of years, and thanks for coming back on the show. Carm, always happy to uh, spend time and uh, have dialogue about our industry. And we're so appreciative of what you do to help us all and educate us and bring different ideas and thoughts to the forum. And yeah, I'm excited to be here. So thank you. Well, thank you. You're so kind. Interesting. Pete McNeil is McNeil's Auto Care in Sandy and Riverton, Utah. Sits on the National Auto Care Advisory Council. I saw some pictures on the website of that Napa image program you got going there. It's really good looking stuff in your lobbies. We're very thankful. We've got uh, probably a much larger than normal waiting area, but that was by design 20 years ago with my father. We've got a place to put a couple of cars. We like to rotate some eye candy in here to generate conversation, but I appreciate that. Yeah, we're blessed. Eye candy. I love that. I just love that word. Sometimes I don't think we do enough inside of our own industry to just marvel people and let them see. In fact, one of the thoughts that I had recently, Pete, was to put a shelf in the waiting room and go out and get your old Monitor 2000, all those old scanning tools, <laughs> yeah. okay? And, and put them out on, on a rack somewhere and say the way it was. What's that all about? Well, that's before cars had computers and we would go inside. And today we've got scopes and laptops and, and all that stuff. And we just wanted to pay homage to how we got here. No, I'll tell you what, I think I love the idea. We have a little section where we do greeting cards. We have so many people come in and it's anniversary or birthdays and they've forgotten. So again, creates a little conversation and excitement to plan ahead and enjoy spending time in the lobby. So I'm a believer you have to mix that up all the time. So uh, guess what? I'm going to put that on my tick list. I love the idea just because I'm an ideas guy and I think imaging is important. Someone leaves the shop, they talk about their experience, which of course at McNeil's it's going to be great. And then they say, oh, by the way, I picked up this old device that they used back in the 90s to fix cars and they just wanted to show us all that McNeil's has a legacy. No, that's exactly right. I love it. We are here brought to you by the Dorman Training Center. So glad and we appreciate all the support that Dorman brings us. Automotive technologies of today and tomorrow demand that professional technicians continuously maintain and grow their knowledge and skill sets. If one does not update, they will evaporate. Mastering the changing technologies, adapting new and more efficient testing techniques, and exploring new tooling and equipment applications are just a few challenges. Dorman Training is dedicated to providing the latest information and proven service and repair tips brought to you by some of the nation's best instructors in the company of some of the nation's best technicians. Dorman has been a leader in driving new product solutions for the automotive aftermarket for more than a century with DormanTrainingCenter.com. We also deliver the technical training and insight service professionals need to further their careers and stay current. The automotive industry constantly evolves with technical advancements, making it crucial for technicians to stay updated with the latest trends and techniques. By undergoing comprehensive training, aspiring technicians will equip themselves with the necessary skills and knowledge to excel in their field. 
In addition to personal technical training throughout the United States, Dorman Training Center delivers online training modules covering a wide variety of topics with new resources rolling out regularly. Whatever your role or experience, you can find helpful information on DormanTrainingCenter.com. Dorman Technical Training covers many of today's advanced automotive systems, including hybrid EV, driver assistance, diagnostics, emission, and complex electronics. Created for working service professionals and taught by ASE certified instructors, classes are held as lunch and learns in the evenings and weekends at on-site locations as well as available on demand. Bring your knowledge to the next level at DormanTrainingLive.com. Thank you so much, Dorman. And listen, I called Pete and I said, look, I love the article that you wrote in the uh, Napa Quarter 3 Insights magazine. It was called New Age Employees Require a New Way of Thinking. I read it. I loved it. And I said, there's 17,000 Napa Auto Care Centers out there. So I'm sure they all read it. But there's a ton of other guys out there that probably need to hear our discussion about new age employees. And I love that concept of new age employees. And maybe we're talking a lot about Gen Z. But I love the fact that we are paying attention as an industry to the needs of our employees. And you started off the whole article about this post-COVID workplace. There's this thing called long COVID where people get COVID and they, they recover themselves in two or three or four weeks. And then some people really have COVID for a while and they just can't shake it. And I think to your point, with COVID workplace, we could have this forever long-term thing going on that has changed how we need to lead, manage, hire, and recruit uh, the, uh, young people. Boy, I, I couldn't agree more, Carm. You know, it's it's ironic because we've really started to notice or identify some of the changes that were going on out there uh, because of our apprentice program, which are bringing in a lot of these Gen Z and the motivators that were so comfortable and we, we had success with 10 years ago were not translating to the workplace anymore. And, and as I started to research a little bit more on Gen Z and I, I'm working with Jake Sorensen on uh, how, how do we captivate these apprentices, Carl, we actually found that we're having some of the same challenges with our service advisors. So this isn't just a, a landscape for the back of the shop. It's also front of the house. And uh, we, we decided we had to start approaching things differently. With, I think for at least the last two years post-COVID, we, we really started to integrate a lot of the things you read in the article. I was at a restaurant about three or four weeks ago, and I had the most incredible server that I've ever had in any restaurant. It was a breakfast place. Took the family out for, it was one of, I think it was my daughter-in-law's birthday. And Pete, after we were done, I started to think about our industry who loves to recruit from food service or any other kind of industry. This individual cared so much about our experience and the, the details that were going on at the table. Uh, had I been a shop owner, I would have dropped my card in a minute and say, hey, would you like a five-day-a-week job? I see you love people. Boy, do we have an industry for you. Any service advisor in your place ever come from that side of the, that industry? No, not in food and beverage. I came from that industry quite a while ago. And it's, it's funny you bring up your experience eating out because it's the exception anymore, right? I just think good service in general is the exception. And I had a great experience just three days ago where drinks were prompt and they let you know what the specials were and, and they came to check on the food and it wasn't overdone. It was just a good experience. And we talked about it for the next couple of days. And I think 
as business owners, we're trying to figure out how to get more of that into our shop. And I, and guess what? With this Gen Z, think about things differently. They approach things differently. And we've got to figure out their hot buttons in order to have success that's going to transcend down the line. And, and you know, some of those things, Carm, I think that are very evident is there's a lot more anxiety with this age group. COVID contributed to that. You know, they have more knowledge at their fingertips than any other generation. And I will tell you, some of the studies have shown that with all this information that's available, their attention span is less than prior generations. So their ability to stay focused, not worry about things, they're kind of scattered. And and really what they're looking for is somebody that can harness the directives and the direction and give them a roadmap. And that's what we're trying to do. You know what? I think you may have broken the code. You sent me this great article about the attention span of a Gen Z. I'm fumbling with it here, but it was somewhere in the vicinity of eight seconds, I think. That's correct. That is correct. Going down from 12 second uh, experience by millennials to eight seconds. So let's not just sit there and say, oh God, that's just terrible. Why don't we Embrace that. And to your point, do the things inside of our businesses that say, we're going to give you two screens for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, and I'll tell you something else that I I thought was very interesting. Gen Zers are also less likely to have working experience when they enter the workplace. They're coming in at a, a later age and they've got some education behind them. But let me tell you, if they don't have a benchmark, they didn't work at a movie theater, maybe they didn't work fast food or they didn't have any retail experience, they don't know what normal is. And because they've got anxiety, because they've got this shortened span of attention, I think the challenge is going to be very challenging for us business owners to penetrate, to gain trust, and again, to, to help pave the way and into how to build a career. And it really, that's what they're echoing out there is, show me what the benefits are if I follow your roadmap. What do I stand to gain? Am I going to learn? Are there going to be some pay advantages down the road? And even though you read in the article, Karm, that pay is definitely not the same trigger that it was 10 years ago, it's still important. And they want to know how it's going to work. Do they have a little more latitude? If I hit my goals, can I still achieve the same pay and maybe work a little bit less? And again, we're harnessing all that. We're trying to find those happy mediums through this. You mentioned Jake Sorensen's name here just a few minutes ago, and I'm going to have Jake on in a couple of weeks, and I want to get an update from him on finding ourselves these young people that can come into our apprentice program. And it was Pete and Jake who helped create the Napa apprentice program a bunch of years ago. And I know you're extremely successful with it, but... But I also discovered that it's becoming more and more of a challenge for the industry to find our young people. And I loved your point. No one has that, if you will, disciplined grind of getting up and going for that four hour a day part time job three days a week like we all did when we were younger. They're not working at all, which is why you see four help signs on every small business that looks for younger talent. Why are restaurants open only for uh, breakfast and lunch and closed at dinner when I used to always go to dinner at some of these places? They're closed because they can't find people. So it's going to happen to us also in our industry. Well, it is happening to us because we're all finding it difficult. I have an episode coming up where we're actually going to sit and talk to a Gen Z mechanic, Pete, and ask uh, 25 questions of this individual that sent them to me. And it is so interesting to hear what's going on. I mean, you've got this great background of what 
you know, the Gen Z people are saying, I mean, take me into an interview where you and Jake are sitting down with a young person that you'd love to bring into the apprentice program. And you also know that their attention spans, their experiences are poor as far as they don't have any, but you've got great training programs. You've got online stuff, phone stuff. I mean, I think the technology that we have today to bring someone through and into our industry exists and it puts a lot of this stuff in their hands, which is where they want to, they want to live in Instagram. Right. When we're interviewing and, and Karm, some of the information that, that you've been reading and that I sent, it says what motivates Gen Z, right? And the items that, that I talk about in the article, and again, I, I did a very broad brush, right? I didn't dive in super deep, but a couple of things that come up in the interviews. And, and let me tell you, the days of, of just interviewing these candidates and you leading the entire experience, it's coming back now the other way where they're actually saying, hey, can I ask you a couple of things? Any ability to have a flexible work schedule? Am I going to have the opportunity to go camping and, and maybe take uh, every other Friday off? Hey, if I hit my goal, can I leave early? These are things that have never been presented or maybe even talked about in an interview, but they're expecting some kind of guidance or response and they want to know that you've heard and thought about it. I love your point because if we're listening to any Gen Xers or boomers that own shops that never went through this and said, hey, listen, dad taught me tough it out, work every day, you know, don't ask for anything, just go out and, and drop your 40, 48 hours a week, be happy, go home. And <laughs> you can't have that attitude as an owner today if you're looking, continue to build your legacy by bringing on young people. Carm, one thing that we started doing a couple of years ago is we do a quarterly incentive for our technicians and it's just for efficiency. Okay, not above efficiency, just being efficient 100%. And if they do that, it's a very sizable quarterly bonus, okay? It equates to about $1,500 per technician. The intrigue and excitement is uh, McNeil's will match that at the end of the year. So if they happen to hit quarter one and quarter three for $3,000, they get a $3,000 reward at the end of the year. But let me expand on that a little bit more. As good as we thought that was, there, there were a few technicians that were subpar, you know, and, and they're maybe in that high 80s, low 90% efficiency range. And we would sit down and say, hey, let, let me help you here. You know, we, we know that things are getting more expensive. We've got inflation and high interest rates. If you can maybe work an extra hour every other day or maybe come in one Saturday, you know, throughout the month and put in three, four hours, you've got the opportunity to earn five to 10,000 additional dollars. And Carm, I'm telling you, there's no hesitation. They look at you and say, hey, I'm okay with the 75 hours. My work is good. I show up to work on time, but I'm going to go fishing this weekend, right? Or I'm going to go to the park with the kids. And I don't know how you wrong that. Again, I come from the day where if I can make an extra $5 at the end of the day and work an extra hour, I would do it. But that's not the motivating factor anymore. I find it interesting. Now, there are some that are still highly motivated by that. But this Gen Z and, and the younger, not so much. We're at this break point, I think, in the industry. I have never heard and interviewed so many shop owners that say, wow, I have got so many young people. I'm excited about it. We've been able to do the kind of recruiting and, and keep them engaged. And so I see that and feel that and hear that as a trend, that there's a lot of young people coming in. But we can't take them for granted. To your point, we have to so pay attention to their needs, to their lifestyles, to their wants. And to your point, no, I'd rather go fishing. In fact, let me see. I want as much time off as I can because me and the wife, me and the girlfriend, me and my significant other, we do these kinds of things and we need time for things. You hit it right on the head and your, your comment about, am I doing it? 
for the cause. I don't know that we have a choice, Carm, right? I mean, if that's the new age way of thinking, we have got to adapt and we've got to be creative. And I'm sure it varies a little bit market to market, you know, state to state. But at the end of the day, I think those challenges are real and we've got to embrace them, right? Not combat them. We can't fight it because it's not going to change. As an industry, obviously the big hurdle the last five, 10 years has been help. How do we train technicians and get them in? Well, now you've got to not only train the technician, now you've got to create a work-life balance. So how do you educate them quick enough to make them effective? How do you motivate them with money if they're not overly intrigued to get an additional ASE certification? And I think the one thing I really tried to highlight in the article is you have to take it case by case. There is not one size fits all. Okay, let's go there because I loved that you are an owner who has said, look it, I just can't have one particular pay plan anymore to survive my business because my ears to the ground and people want different things. This one time off, this one wants dollars, this one wants more PTO and come in late. And so we are more into hybrid pay programs than ever. Give me a little bit on how you're doing it, when you discovered it, how many programs you have, and give me a flavor of what they look like. Boy, I wish I could tell you there was four concrete ones that we use. Uh, they, They literally varied that much person to person. I want to piggyback maybe off Jake. When Jake wrote the The Apprentice program, I'll tell you, one of the things I commended him for was how he structured the pay. And it was done in a, in a couple different aspects. Number one is, is they earn an additional dollar for each stage they complete, right? So there, there's a intrigue and interest in progressing through the program. But as they get to the latter stages of the learning, he starts to mix up the pay a little bit. Okay, so they're they're on hourly when they start. Then we slowly sprinkle in flat rate. Maybe it's an hour a day when they're at stage six or seven. And then it, it slowly progresses to a couple hours a day. Then it's a hyper balance between part hourly, part flat rate. Then as they get to the very end, we slowly clip their wings and now they're 100% flat rate. But here's what we do, Carm. When we're done with that, we sit down with the, that individual and we find out where their comfort level is. As an owner, I think we all learn very quickly. There's some technicians that are very, very efficient. They approach it in a way that they want the opportunity to have a base flat rate and exceed and excel. There are others that say, hey, I'm a little more methodical. I I really don't like the idea that I've got to go through something quick. I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake. And I feel like if you maybe put me on a flat rate program only, I'm going to have some errors. And I'm really nervous about that. So when Jake did that, I love the fact that it exposed them to what the industry has had. And now it's our opportunity to try and mold like a piece of clay, this technician and find out what the hyper balance is to trigger them to want to continue working and where their interest level is. So I'll tell you one thing that I approached Jake with that I started noticing five years ago is there is a very large gap in good diagnostic technicians. My father came from the industry. He worked at the Porsche dealership and he said, I'll tell you what, son, the guys with the biggest brains and the slowest hands make the least amount of money, but find the most difficult problems and end up getting all the things nobody else can figure out. And then there's the other technician that's very fast with his hands and maybe a little slower with his mind, but he's the one with a big fat paycheck every pay period. And he goes, it's backwards. If the gentleman wants to spend time learning and doing it right, they should be compensated accordingly. And there should not be this large gap. So I went to Jake and I said, well, that's the problem. Why would anybody want to 
focus on diagnostics, I mean, the industry is going heavier and heavier that direction if they can't make any money because our industry has forced this flat rate game. So we started approaching a couple of our, our apprentices and one that graduated is named uh, Zach Koshmilio, maybe one of the best diagnostic young men we've had. He's 26 years old. Jake said, I, I'm telling you, I'd put him on a plateau with the best. He's already got his master's. So he's the ASC master. But that was a gentleman that when we started talking about flat rate, he pretty much shriveled in a corner and said, well, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know that that's me. So we did a very intensive salary program for him because the value of diagnostic allows us to do things right. And we can channel some of that work to the guys that produce a little bit more. So we are very heavy with him on salary, very, very light on his productivity. Now, there are some bulls in there. He still has the incentive quarterly. But again, I guess I'm trying to echo, we really are taking it case by case. We still have the standard flat rate that as they become more efficient and it's 100%, 105%, 110%, there's additional monies added to their flat rate. There's bonuses and things like that. But we are taking it case by case. Okay, so your pay plans are more based on the job position, not the individual. That's probably well said. Well, I think you still have to take the individual because that's part of their genre. Is it bad nowadays as an owner to have a technician that turns 75 hours? We've been conditioned that if they can't get to 80, 95, 105, it's a problem. But if we can get a technician that's doing 75 hours and it's very good quality work, and his diagnostic skills are good, and we're not having a bunch of comeback jobs, I'm okay with that. And we need to start valuing that expertise. And maybe that particular candidate is very, very good with EVs and hybrids, and that's where his focus is going to be. Carm, I believe we are going to get more and more into a specialized arena, right? The independents are going to have to start embracing what the dealers have done, right? You've got a transmission expert over here. You've got somebody that just does electrical. You've got HVAC over here. We're getting so technical that that we have to have experts in some of those respective fields. And we're going to have to pay and reward for those knowledge bases and the time that they have to spend to be affluent. Ever find the technicians saying, hey, listen, I'll show you my pay plan if you show me yours. I mean, is there anything like that going on? Or do they all realize that it's positional, it's years spent, it's training gotten, it's ASE certifications. Do they understand that none would all look alike? As an owner, we've always preached that's taboo to talk about pay. I think part of clearing the plate is making sure that you're communicating with your team on a regular basis. You know, we can go back to the Gen Z and one of the challenges is they want more interaction with owners and managers. They want to know if they are meeting the expectations. Are they performing correctly? And if so, what is the roadmap to maybe do a little bit better down the road? Are there more certifications they can do? So I think that the pay, we always worry about that, right? But I think if you're doing things the right way, and I think if you're compensating your teams fairly, there shouldn't be these drastic differences between technician one, two, three, four, and five. Obviously, you're going to have some guys that are just more efficient. They're going to make a little bit more and the other guy understands that. But the guy that's a little bit better at diagnostic, he's maybe making a little more because 
he can do electrical, but the other guy over here can't. So those balances, I think, are there. As you were speaking, uh, I was just, I always let my mind wander every one of my episodes because uh, I'm always inspired by who I have on. And I said, well, it's not by the person, it's by the job. So I wrote down Diag Mechanical Apprentice. And, you know, you could have an undercar, you could have, you know, an alignment specialist. And, and then I started to think, do we have degrees inside of each of those? Do we have an, a, a CBA Diag person who someone who shows incredible promise and they're going to be a, an a diag someday because we, we talk about this abc thing i think all in the wrong ways today agreed so i look at this and i say listen we've got these incredible different hybrid pay plans and they're all based on you know your career pathing and the amount of training that you're going to and that you're keeping things up. So we've got these KPIs over here. We've got all this training sitting over here, production here. I can imagine that it's not complicated, but it's there's so much in it that you can satisfy the need of everyone, whatever there helps float their boat. It's all there. So when it comes to career pathing, are you sitting down and helping manage that, uh, the training, the future for your people? That was very well said, Carm. I believe this new generation, because there's so much information at their fingertips, there's so many learning resources that are out there. And we do pride ourselves on, we, we go to as many shows as we can. McNeil's pays for the learning. We pay for certification and ASE testing. There should be rewards for those. And I think those are the internal differences you have to offer and communicate very clearly the benefits and help them find those directives. And let me tell you, I think the challenge is if they're not exposed to these other opportunities, how do they know what's out there? When we get back from a ratchet and rents show, the guys come back invigorated with a new idea and they sat in on a class or they talked to a fellow technician from another state that, that's specializing in something. I think we're in a little bit of a lull now where I, I believe we've got to embrace these new pay and these new learning modules that are out there and figure out how to adapt those to these employees without sacrificing the long-term pay. And I think the lull, when I say the lull, the productivity days of, of really pushing everybody to get to this X, that 100 hours, whatever it might be, we're going to have to take a step back and reward the person that's a 70 or 80 for investing the time and going through the the hard knock learning cycles. If you think about it, pushing efficiencies and productivity sometimes inhibits anybody from wanting to take the time to learn, right? They don't want to ask the question or get on their laptop and go through the complete testing practices because they're getting behind. And if I'm getting behind, why do I want to do it right? I, I just soon take a guess and throw a part at it and I'll talk my way through it if it's incorrect. So we've got to do better at that for sure. I love it. You're talking about having a spirit of wanting to learn, a spirit of belonging. I think the word spirit is important there. So they don't want to go into a slump. They want to backpedal and say, I've just discovered I'm going nowhere here. Wow. Okay. You do a lot of things socially with and for your people. And do they love all the things that you do to involve not only them in these special events that are non-work related, but to also involve their families? Yeah, I think that's always a hard balance to know. Are, are you offering the right thing? Like on a weekend, you know, there's a lot of people that say, hey, guess what, guys? I've spent five days with you. I need a break, right? I, I'm not really excited to go to that company barbecue. But let me tell you, there are some people where this is family and the extension, there's pride to, to introduce 
your coworkers to a spouse or significant other. So we have had good success with that. And again, I never want to be that guy that says, well, when we do a, a boating event where we take people up there, that we get 30 people that come from our operation. You know, we maybe get 10 or 12. But I always look at it and say, those 10 or 12 are now sharing that experience with the ones that didn't go. And they realize that we're, we're making that effort. We're trying to do something a little bit different. You saw the will of fortune that we do, which is, I got the idea from Donnie Hudson. I'll tell you, I love his motivation and excitement, but we're always talking about, you know, how to invigorate our staff. And uh, that was an idea from him. And so I think you can't just do one thing, one item. I, you've got to continue to mix it up. Just like we're talking about pay plans, the way you recognize and do uh, events to, to bring your team together, you've got to have some fun. I love that. Perfect analogy on that. And the, the Wheel of Fortune, I think, sounds like you can do the Wheel of Fortune and not have people go away on the weekend. Like you say, take some time out, set up certain plateaus or incentives for the team and give them a, a card job well done. A peer review. Oh, my God. You get a peer review. I think it's off the charts. I mean, yeah, thanks, Pete, for recognizing me. But, you know, the guy at the other store that I helped the other day, he gave me a high five card. Right. That's exactly right. I don't know that you can ever have too much of that. I mean, I had Jason Rainey come and he loves the culture. And ironically, he goes, Pete, you know what I'm most excited about when I come visit it is I want to get whatever your new swag is, right? The new McNeil's hat or whatever, because they're cool and they're different. And we do a Christmas party every year at CARM where we rent out a place. We've done casino nights the last two years. Prior to that, we've had comedians come. We've had ventriloquists. I mean, we go down the line, but it's an event to bring our team together and they earn tickets and there's raffles at the end of the night. It's maybe one of the, the most exciting things we do. And the company invests a fair amount for that experience. But to me, it's about giving back. It's about letting Gen Z know that there are some differences out there. There are places that want to build camaraderie and teamwork. And that's why we do those things. I got to read this one section of this article that you sent me that it was all about Gen Z. It says 43% of Gen Zers would rather talk face-to-face. 24% prefer communicating via text. While 14% like talking on the phone. So interesting there. 11% want to chat via email and 8% rely on social media hubs. That last stat, 8% rely on social media hubs, blows me away. It seems so low. Yeah, I thought the same thing. But I will tell you, I'm starting to experience a little bit in this digital age, right, where so many of the programs that allow us to communicate with the customer electronically have almost given cause or excuse to have less face-to-face -face interaction, whether that is at the front counter or whether that's over the phone, but really dealing with your customer on a more intimate level, we've now been able to say, well, I don't have to sit and explain it. I can just send over a quick description that shows pictures of their car, what's wrong, the estimates, and all they have to do is click through the buttons and that's become okay, which is opposite of what our industry was all about, which was let's take time and educate them why they need a service, why they need a repair. And we're actually trying to expose too much digital experiences, which is why I think Gen Z is saying, guess what? I've got two apparatuses going all day long. I'm watching TV and streaming, and now I'm looking at something else on the internet. I really want to talk to my boss and hear from him or my manager or my coworker what's going on. 
and what's next? What's new? I think that's why that's kind of presented itself that way. I find it fascinating. I think this is a big takeaway from this episode that 43% of Gen Zers would rather talk face to face. So as owners, let's not just talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. We, We cannot put every Gen Z in a bucket that says they are the probably the most digital natives that we've ever had and everything they've ever seen, known, touched has always been digital. I mean, the wire coming to the house is, you know, high speed internet. There's nothing that they can't find or buy, uh, but yet 43% want face to face. Scary thought, scary thought. And I think an important talk. I remember, and this goes back a few years, Pete, where someone was saying to me, and I can't remember who, I believe it was on an episode that I did years ago that said, as, as we start learning all about Gen Z, as they start coming into the workforce, you will find them to be more like boomers than any of the other previous generations. And I listened to that. And I said, wow, that is just so damn interesting. But here, if that stat is right, 43% would rather have face-to-face. I don't know, uh, as a boomer that I am, that's all we ever had. Yeah. (laughs) We had to learn to love it. You and I, when we started this conversation, you know, one thing that really jumped out to me about the Gen Z was there is a concern with anxiety and and maybe even trust because there's so many sites where they can get so many opinions and information. And you know, one thing that we worked on here is we're, we're seeing a need to have face-to-face and maybe to hear from experts. So I'll give you something we've got coming up here in, in the next three weeks. We're going to have just an after-hour workshop. It's a voluntary thing. Nobody has to come, but we're going to have a tax specialist come in and a financial expert. And I know these are not new ideas, but they were maybe more popular 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But These people don't know. And if we can, again, bring those experts in and hear from somebody face-to-face and experience real-life ideas and suggestions, and there's now a resource that they can rely on, I think we'll start winning a little bit more with this group. Yep. The older I got, the smarter my parents got. (laughs) You could probably talk to your blue in the face to a a Gen Z individual and tell them that savings is important. Do you want to buy a house? And, you know, here's how. And them just looking at you and saying, well, everything else came to me pretty easy. So I'm sure I could go out and buy a house or. And then it takes an individual in 10 years to think back to 2023 and say, ah, Damn, Pete McMeal, he was right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why I relish that day, yeah. Because Gen Z seems to be so much different in in their needs and their wants, this may be the smartest and best thing you could possibly ever do because I think there's some pretty damn smart Gen Zs out there that see the world as their oyster and they need to figure out how to get it. I agree. You know, one last point, Carm, that I, I really thought was an interesting takeaway. They said this particular generation will be the smartest of all. They, they really have focused on learning and education. And part of that equation is it's also the largest generation that have parents that have graduated with degrees. And I'm going to go back to a Jake Sorensen comment. We're, we're having dialogue about this. And he goes, well, Pete, but I want you to think about something. The challenge that is posing now is even when I was a kid and my father, if a shingle broke off the house or your water heater went out, dad went out there and figured out how to fix it. Right. And we learn from osmosis of asking the right questions, realizing you had to dive in. Well, this last generation was around technology and their parents went to school and didn't focus on the do it yourself stuff. 
So Jake said, when these people are coming into the trade, they don't have that normal wealth of experience where they tinkered on a car with dad or did some of those things. And I think, again, this just shows us we've got to come up with a new connection. It's a new way, new age of learning. We're not dealing with the same thing. So well said and a great wrap up to a great episode. We started off with commitment to talk about your article you wrote, New Age Employees Require a New Way of Thinking. And I think we nailed it. I appreciate that. Yeah, loved it. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you for your uh, for your wisdom. Uh, McNeil's Auto Care, Sandy in Riverton, Utah. You told me that you're building, adding on to the Riverton store. Hey, we're excited. It uh, We're going on three years. It's much busier than anticipated, which is always a great problem. But uh, we we're fortunate that the land that we purchased was large enough that uh, we're, we're adding another six bays and we're adding a warehouse that uh, we're working with uh, some other group. But things are things are very good. I appreciate that. Super duper. Well, my friend, thank you so much, Pete. I appreciate you being here. Carm, thanks for all you do for the industry. We appreciate it. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. Bye.